you, Steve and band. Good words for us as we turn to God's word. Let me pray as we begin. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, it's wonderful to be back with you. I was able to take a Sunday off last Sunday with family, which was just great. Thankful to my colleagues and leadership for giving us those kinds of opportunities. Hopefully, you've had some opportunities to rest and relax with your loved ones as well. Um, We are still in the dog days of of summer here, but we start to uh, think about the fall, and we are planning and preparing to have lots of fun stuff to share with you in the weeks to come as we get closer to uh, school starting and, and fall ministry beginning. We are continuing to walk through the book of Proverbs, and uh, we are now in the section where we're going through different topics uh, in the book of Proverbs and uh, addressing them in real practical ways uh, as we walk through our life of faith together. And today I have the opportunity to speak uh, about words. Uh, we have many different topics to choose from in Proverbs. We can't do them all. But uh, this is one we couldn't miss, the words that we choose to use. So would you stand for the reading of Scripture as you're able? This is from Proverbs 18, verses 1 through 8, and then 20 through 21. I'm going to remind you that we are reading God's word for us today. More important than any word I could share with you today is Holy Scripture itself. So feel free to take a deep breath, to be mindful of what God wants to say to you today from Proverbs 18. The one who lives alone is self-indulgent, showing contempt for all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing personal opinion. When wickedness comes, contempt comes also. And with dishonor comes disgrace. The words of the mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a gushing stream. It is not right to be partial to the guilty or subvert the innocent in judgment. A fool's lips bring strife and a fool's mouth invites a flogging. The mouth of fools are their ruin and their lips are a snare to themselves. The words of a whisperer are like delicious morsels. They go down into the inner part of the body. From the fruit of the mouth, one's stomach is satisfied. The yield of the lips brings satisfaction. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat of its fruits. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Uh, One of the things uh, that I truly love to do, some of you know this, is to sit down with couples for counseling, particularly uh, premarital counseling. I really enjoy getting couples ready for their big day. I've got a wedding on Saturday here that I'm excited about. I love um, just kind of preparing them as best I can, talking through issues that they may have as they head towards their wedding day, and then setting them up for a life of marriage. Um, 
When I first started doing premarital counseling, I had all sorts of tools and resources that I would use. I would aim for like six to eight sessions together. I would try to cover all this material. I had books that I would give them. I had assessments that they would pay for, and I would walk through, and we would talk about compatibility scales and all these kinds of things. And, and as I've progressed, my strategy has changed fundamentally. Um, I do way fewer sessions. I do no books, no assessments. And I have one primary focus. It's the first session, and it follows through three other sessions, and that is communication. Communication. Those of you who have been married for a long time or been in a relationship for a long time know this to be true. This is a very, very profound poetic statement I'm going to make. If your communication stinks, then everything else is probably going to stink too. Very poetic of me, right? If you're not speaking well to one another in your relationship, if you're not speaking effectively with one another, there's very little chance that all these other things that we could talk about in premarital are going to work very well. Things like finances and work life and parenting and intimacy, anything else it's not going to be particularly life-giving if you're not communicating well. Can I get an amen? Okay, thank you. I think that Solomon, um, the compiler of Proverbs, if he was asked to do premarital counseling, um, might use the same strategy. I don't want to put myself on his uh, wisdom scale, but I think we might agree on this one. Because in the book of Proverbs, he's constantly trying to drive home the importance that words and the words that we use and how we communicate are really important. Proverbs is remarkably clear in this. If your communication, the words that you choose, are off base, then your whole life is off base. You're pretty sunk. So it's worth talking about the words you choose and how you employ them. It's good for us to hear from Solomon in his Proverbs on this subject because there's a lot of material in Proverbs on the words that we use. So let me start by asking just a few questions uh, that you might also be asking as we, as we start in on this topic. The first question is, why are words important? You're telling us they're important. Why are they important? Actually, of all the topics in Proverbs, words and speech are the most popular topic. Why, do they place, why does Proverbs place so much importance on words? Well, I like to think it's because Solomon was a wise person, and he understands that we can't be a wise person while using foolish speech. Those things don't go together. And although we have kind of always known it intuitively, modern science has confirmed the tremendous power that words have on ourselves, our communities, and our world. The words that we speak not only reflect, uh, not only reflect but, but shape our thoughts. And our thoughts shape actually the physical structures of our brain. Science is telling us this. An NPR interview with the scientist writer, um, science writer Sharon Begley entitled, Can Thoughts and Actions Change Our Brains? introduces us to the idea of neuroplasticity. Anybody know about neuroplasticity? This is fascinating. You, of course you do. This is a fascinating, fascinating idea. Tell me if I'm wrong. Um, it's a process in which the brain actually creates new neural pathways, pathways throughout our life, literally being reshaped as it learns new things and particularly practices habits and new things. We can rewire our brain. Begley reveals how findings in neuroplasticity suggest that the way we talk, the way we communicate, the words that we choose, can not only change the structure of our brains, but can even lead to the regrowth of brain cells, something that previous to this science thought was impossible. So another way to put it, the words that we have have the power to literally rewire and regenerate our brains. Am I right? Yes, good. I'm looking at our resident psychologist here. Another way to put it. It can rewire our brain. That's incredible. It's amazing. No less amazing, 
a two, 2013 TED Talk by biologist Dr. Mark Pagel. It's called, Does Language Bring Us Together or Pull Us Apart? And he speaks of the potency of our words, explaining that through language and this idea of neuroplasticity, we actually have the ability to implant ideas into another person's mind through our words. That's really what we're doing with our words. It's amazing. He says that language provides the rails on which thoughts ride. The words we use and how we use them matter immensely because they shape the way that we perceive the world and they shape the way that we participate in the world. Words are the way that we convey thought and a primary way of us relating to one another. Nothing else in all of creation communicates like human beings do with words. Words are the basis of human connection and they're the dynamic force that shapes our minds and the minds of those around us. All the more reason that we need lots of wisdom when we talk about words. Second question you might be asking, why are you preaching on this today? Why is this sermon timely today? Um, I didn't choose this topic because I think this congregation is particularly sinful in the way that you use words, not any more than any other congregation, but rather because I think we're actually at an inflection point in terms of words in general. It's a very confusing culture that we're in in terms of words. A study out of the University of Arizona concluded that the average person speaks 15,000 to 16,000 words in a day. Women tend to speak more than men on average. The same study concluded that we hear audibly 24 to 30,000 words in a day. Those of you who listen to podcasts all day, it's probably higher. Author Nick Bilton, in a New York Times article entitled The American Diet, 34 Gigabytes a Day, posits that if we put together the, the words that we hear in a day and the words that we read in a day, and that includes the billboards you go by and a book that you read and things on the screen like this, that we are probably consuming 34 gigabytes a day, which makes about 100,000 total words in a day, audibly and visually. For reference, uh, Mark Twain's Huckleberry Finn, you know, that's a pretty thick book. That's about 100,000 words. So basically, you're consuming Huckleberry Finn every day in what you're hearing or seeing. Of course, you are not intently reading or hearing all of those 34 gigabytes every day, but the point remains, we are assailed with a litany of words in our life, and, and as a result, the power of those words can be diminished. Take that and add to it the current state of, of civic discourse where certain media publications or political figures or other influential leaders have, have devolved into using words as, as a weapon to censure, to, to undermine, to, to destroy the reputation of other people. And it's not hard to see the ways in which we are inundated with words, but they become cheap. I, I think this is what the inflection point is that we are at right now uh, and, and, and why it's so good for us to ponder the words that we use because... In a way, words today have never been more overused or undervalued than any other point in human history. That's my thesis. So I think it's timely for us. Third question. What does Proverbs actually say about words? As you likely know, we're in that main section of Proverbs. If you're reading along with us, uh, I, I'll encourage you to do it. At the beginning of the summer, we said, read through Proverbs three times because there's 31 days in a month. 31 chapters in Proverbs, so you can do a chapter a day. You can start again tomorrow uh, in Proverbs chapter 1. Um, but as I've been going through it in the month of July, I've been underlining every mention of speech or tongue in a certain color uh, in my Bible. And, and um, I need to tell you that words show up in every single chapter. Every single chapter. The importance of words. And a few themes come through really clearly. Now, I recognize that we could, we could go through each and, one, each and every one of these uh, for a week each, but 
I'm going to do a big overall view. This is sort of an overview of what Solomon has to say. Um, Our speech should be righteous because bad results come from coarse talk and speech without integrity. A wise person knows how to guard their words, but a foolish person doesn't have any sort of filter over their mouth. So putting an active filter over the words that we say. We should take oaths seriously. If we say we're going to do something, we should do it. If we promise something, we should follow through. And we should avoid lying and deceit. We should maintain confidentiality. That's an important theme in in Proverbs, that if somebody shares something with us in confidence, we should hold that. We shouldn't mock other people. We shouldn't use our words to, to cut down other people or their character. And we should seek to avoid hypocritical speech. We shouldn't be two-faced in the way that we speak. So these are just a a few lessons. And if I could kind of condense all of those down into just a few things, I think the heart of what Solomon is trying to communicate is apply a filter to your words. Lying and untruthful words are going to wreak havoc upon your life. Gossip ruins relationships. Cursing and vulgar speech is not becoming of someone who's trying to to please God and will ultimately uh, affect the state of your heart. And most of all, This is the most important thing. Proverbs makes it clear that if you're seeking to be a wise person, you need to seek to live a life of of integrated actions and words. Your words and your actions should match. Now, that may sound like a lot of rules, and at the risk of sounding like a parent telling you to watch your language, young man or young lady, um, I want to communicate something to you this morning. Again, super poetic. Your words matter. Your words matter. Um, I'm saying it today, but Jesus said it over and over again in his earthly ministry. Solomon says it over and over again in Proverbs. Your words matter. They matter to me as a fellow human being on this journey of life who happens to be in your life and in the same space as you. Your words matter to God, and your words matter to the world around you. I don't want you to just brush off the idea of, of godly speech as some sort of pious ideal, that it's, that it's just some sort of uh, uh, moral imperative. It's actually a noble thing, and I would say it's essential. I see some young people here, kids who are here, junior high, high school age kids who are here. Um, I want you to know that this is not, I'm not actually just talking to you. I'm talking to you and adults. This is a level playing field sermon here today when we talk about words. And especially if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, and that's something you're trying to do in your life, you should know that you're held to a higher standard. Know that. Christians need to embrace that higher standard because our words matter. Um, I want to offer three reasons why our words really do matter. I'm indebted to Ken Witzma and A.J. Swoboda in their book, Redeeming How We Talk, uh, for some of these um, helpful distinctions. So three reasons of why our words really matter. First, you are your words. You are your words. The words that you use matter because they are a reflection of what's going on inside of you. Um, how many of you have ever had a word come out of your mouth and you're like, wow, where did that come from? Anybody? Anybody happen the last like 24 hours? I'll raise my hand. Okay. Um, I know that happens to me uh, with some frequency. I can't tell you how many times I've had to go back to Katie, my wife, or my kids, or even my coworkers and say, hey, that thing I said or... The way that I said it, I realized that was not coming from a super healthy place. I have done that before, right? I think maybe. She's trying to think. I, have to, I feel like I've done that. Okay, thanks. Yeah, I appreciate that. I've been forgiven. 
Um, but I have to go back to people and say, hey, I've got things to work through. I'm sorry. Um, but I got to tell you, when that happens to me, when something comes out of my mouth and I'm not expecting it, my, my reflex is to go, well, I didn't mean that. I didn't mean that. That's not what I meant. Um, but actually, that's not true. <laughs> the things that we say come from our hearts. If I use ungodly speech, it's not some sort of slip. It's not some sort of like momentary, unthinking lapse of judgment. Those words come from somewhere deep inside of me. So we should all be aware about what our words and our speech is saying about us. Francis Schaeffer, uh, one, of my, one of my heroes, uh, author, says um, he, he had this idea that we should all find a way to wear a microphone around our neck that records every word and listen back to it at the end of the day. Might that change the way that we speak? So often we feel like given certain company or a certain setting that we can kind of let our guard down and let our words flow a little more freely, more relaxed. But here's the truth of scripture. Your mouth is only revealing the state of your heart. Proverbs 10, 31. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. Look at that passage. The mouth of the righteous brings forth wisdom. Where is it being brought forth from? Your heart. Your heart. If your heart is broken and it's darkened and it's wounded and it's angry and it's critical, your mouth is going to reveal that. If your heart is good and pure and, and grateful and humble, your words are going to follow. So we need to know that we're accountable for each word that comes from our mouths and that we are our words. And, and that should make us stop and think about what we're saying. It, it should make us increasingly intentional with our words. Even more, it should make us continually examine the state of our hearts. Because if we do that heart work, our words are going to follow. Reason two. Reason two that words really matter is every time we speak, we have an opportunity. Every time we speak, it's an opportunity. Proverbs 18, I already read it for you. It's kind of the key verse for the, for the sermon today. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Here Solomon is inviting us to consider the impact of our words on others over and against our desire to say those words, whatever they are. Another way to say that, our, our words can always be either self-focused or others-focused. All of our words can be self-focused or others-focused. They can take life from somebody else or give life to somebody else. Uh, we're in a social media culture here today where we often read about people going on rants or diatribes about one issue or another, and the rationale is like, well, I just needed to get that off my chest, right? Likewise, we're... we're so many of our words are shaped to, to, to sort of buttress our own persona and image and perception of, of who we are by other people. That kind of speech is clearly self-seeking in every way. It makes the speaker or the writer feel better about themselves rather than bettering other people. And Solomon encourages us to think about other people before we ever open our mouth. Every word is an opportunity to either build somebody else up and help somebody else or to simply puff ourselves up and make ourselves feel better. There are not any throwaway words in your life. I believe that. And words cannot be taken back once they're delivered. Some of you know that. 
because you have wounds of words that have been spoken about you and to you. So it's incumbent upon us to see the ways in which our words are a constant opportunity for good that gives honor to God. A good way to check yourself in this is just to ask the question, is, about, is what I'm about to say or type going to reduce, demean, or discourage in any way those who hear them or read them, those who are created in the image of God, just like I am? And if the answer is yes in any way, then we ought not say it and we ought not type it. Reason number three that our words matter is the world is listening. The world's listening. I don't think Solomon is, is mentioning words so frequently simply to make us better people so that we live some morally upright life, even though that's a good thing, so that we can experience the benefits of some sort of personal piety. No, I, Solomon keeps tying the idea of speech to this word righteousness or right living. And righteousness is not simple moral piety. It's, it's the ways in which our lives speak to the God that we serve. So, Solomon is aware that the world is, is watching and listening. And one of the ways that we show a love for God, a desire to please God, is through the way in which we speak, the way in which we live. James and Paul later affirm this connection between words and actions numerous times in the New Testament. Our, our words and our hearts, they need to match. Or else we're going to be doing a disservice to the gospel of Jesus. And our witness is going to be watered down. And I'm concerned that if that if we don't work on this, that our witness can be damaged with certain people beyond repair. So know that your words are some of the best or worst ways that you witness to people. Um, I have a friend in town, doesn't go to church here, but he's a businessman who, who contends that simply by not swearing, he sticks out like a sore thumb in his line of work. He has had numerous people over the years ask him, why doesn't he participate in that kind of speech? Why doesn't he demean women? Why doesn't he laugh at lewd jokes? Why doesn't he have a few more drinks and, and let the words flow a little more freely? Why doesn't he trash other people? What an incredible opportunity for my friend to tell people, yeah, I'll tell you why. It's because of my love for Jesus. It's because of the desire to please him. I think in this day and age, simply choosing to use God-honoring language, not swearing, not being crude, you're distinguishing yourself in a culture and you're going to have people asking you similar questions. Why are you so different? Why do you do that? And what a great opportunity to speak well of God's work in your life and in your heart. So these three reasons are really convincing for me uh, and, and convicting for me. I, I want my words to, to reflect the work of, of God in my life and in my heart, knowing that my words are going to follow. Um, I, I desire to bless people with my words rather than simply puffing myself up or making myself feel good. I I want to be a witness for Christ in the world with the words that I choose. And I know that many of you want the same thing. So how do we do this? Um, in a world of, of coarse language and unfiltered words and doublespeak, how do we exercise faithful and wise words? If we say, yes, I believe these words matter, how do we actually do it? And here's the beauty of seeking wisdom in the book of Proverbs. And you heard it last week in Joy's sermon. You're going to hear it for the next month. Spoiler alert. We can look to Jesus as our wisdom for this, because Jesus becomes wisdom for us. So what wisdom does Jesus have in terms of our words, what we speak? Well, um, in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, we uncover a really kind of radical and strange idea. It says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. 
So Jesus gets a nickname in John chapter 1, and the nickname is Word. Now, it's easy to gloss over the statement because of familiarity. We, say, we, we read that passage every uh, Christmas Eve. I stand at this pulpit, and, and we lift up our candles, and we, and we read John 1, right? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. But it's important for us to consider the implications of that. Uh, New Testament professor Kara Lyons-Pardue um, notes that the Greek term that's being used in John chapter 1 for word is logos, logos. Uh, it's the same word from which we get our English word logic. So, and this is a new idea to me. She thinks a better way to say it is that Jesus actually represents the logic or the rationale of God. So in Jesus, we don't just see the, the unity of divine logic and divine reason but we also see the embodiment of it. Then she says this, which, which I think is really important. She says, Jesus becomes the marker by which speech and action are unified. He becomes the exemplar of that. And in doing so, his words have unique power. So when we read about Jesus, we, we actually see the Gospels teeming with examples of Jesus' words doing incredible things, right? Administering healing, and driving out demons, and even raising the dead. Lyons Pardue explained that the words of Jesus' teaching were often accompanied right away with signs of healing. His words had that power. So similar to God's first commandment, let there be light, and there was light, Jesus continually speaks words that materialize into reality. God's words, when spoken, they're always active. They take on flesh. So she says that Jesus' speech does not create a reality in an ethereal sense, but in a literal way through the way his words are always accompanied by living action. Words accompanied by flesh, living action. Maybe we think of this idea of, of holy speech or godly speech or wise speech being sort of boring or regressive or old-fashioned in today's day and age. But if we look to Jesus, who is the perfect model of speech, we look and we see he was never boring, as far as I can tell. He was actually quite progressive in the words that he used, and he was dynamic in his choice of words. Now, as I look at the life of Jesus, every word that he spoke was intentional and brought life. Go back and read the Gospels of Jesus, everybody. Jesus doesn't waste a word. There's no throwaway words with Jesus. And since God invites us to participate in the building up of all creation, our words also carry tremendous weight. When we look to Jesus, we see someone who was fully and totally wise in speech, perfect in every way. But he was also fully wise and perfect in the ways in which he put those words into action. So, we could talk about any number of things pertaining to the Christian life on Sunday mornings here. All of them are important. But much like those couples that I meet with for premarital counseling, if our speech, our communication, the words that we use and the way that we talk, if it doesn't precede all those other sort of topics in a wise and holy way, they're destined to be impotent. They're destined to fail. So as we close, and I, without being too heavy-handed here, I, I want to invite us into a time of confession and commitment. I want us to confess our ungodly speech and to commit take, to take more seriously the call to God-honoring speech. For our own sake, certainly, 
but even more so for the building up of other people, the people around us. Um, I want you to I want, I want to invite you to pray along with me, and trust me, I'm praying this prayer first and foremost for myself and inviting you to come along because I know that I need it. Um, I'm going to put some breaks in the midst of this prayer for you to silently add your own prayers and then a little extra time at the end for you to pray. So let's turn to Jesus, the Logos, the Word, in confession and prayer of commitment. Let's pray. O most holy God, we confess today how difficult it is to tame our tongues. So we lay before you these things. We lay before you words that we wish we could unspeak. We lay before you silence kept when it would have been better. For us to speak. We lay before you our double speak and inconsistency. We lay before you all the talk behind others' backs. We lay before you all the chatter that tears down others. We lay before you every confidence that has been broken. We lay before you every wound that has been inflicted, both by us and upon us. And Lord, we pray these prayers of commitment that you would help us to bridle our tongues. Lord, we ask you to help us think before we speak. Lord, guide us to use our words to build up rather than to tear down. Lord, help our tongues to Lead us to maturity and faithfulness. And now, Lord, we take just a moment to pray prayers of silent confession and commitment in our own words, the words that only we can form in the silence of our hearts. And Lord, we thank you for this and in every way that we can bring our failures, the ways in which we fall short, to you. That you are a good and holy God who receives us 
Lord, we rest in the promise that you are indeed gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. So Lord, we approach your throne with confidence for the grace and the hope that we need. Lord, would you, like the prophet Isaiah, cleanse our lips and give us an opportunity to use our words as if they were words that you placed in our very mouth, you placed in our hearts. May our speech look more and more like the speech of Jesus Christ, your son, perfect in every way. Words that build up, words that convict, words that put on flesh, words that lead to holy action, honoring to you. Lord, you are a good and, and, and holy God, worthy of praise and adoration for your forgiveness and your grace. We turn our attention to you, God of grace and glory, we pray in your name.